welcome to the 10th episode of the second season of the Detours in Music podcast. My name is Laura Rupel, and today I'm really excited to share an interview I had with one of my new teachers, Dwight Perry, principal oboist of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Well, thanks for having me on your podcast, Laura. Great to be here. Um, I'm Dwight Perry. I'm currently the principal oboist of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, um, adjunct professor of oboe at um, Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. Um, I, I teach at a few places in the summer, including the Interlochen Arts Camp, um, the Stellenbosch Music Festival in uh, South Africa, and, um, you know, th- th- things like that. Um, all things oboe. <laughs> all, uh, yeah, all things oboe. That's, uh, those are the titles. It's funny, I, when you get asked that question, uh, I think, well, that sort of defines you, but I don't actually think that way. I just think of myself as, as a musician and sort of privileged to play wherever they'll have me at the moment. <laughs> Um, just out of my own curiosity, how long have you had the position with the CSO? Yeah, I'm I'm just now entering my 14th season. Awesome. That's an incredible, <laughs> incredible thing to be doing. It's gone by in a flash. Um, to, to round that out, uh, prior to that, I spent just one year as principal of the San Diego Symphony. Um, and that was on the heels of three years in the New World Symphony. How did you get your start in music? Uh, well, let's see. My my grandfather kind of played boogie-woogie piano and jazz trombone, mostly as a hobby. But I, um, I remember from a very early age how magical it was to go over to, to his house and listen to him kind of jazz it up on the piano. And I, I learned a little bit of that. I've never been a very good pianist. Um, but it inspired me, uh, especially with jazz. So I started playing saxophone um, when I was like 11 years old or something. And um, after having been singing and here and there, but but when I started to really get serious about music was when I started saxophone. Loved jazz, played in the band in high school, played in the marching band. And uh, it didn't really occur to me or didn't even think about what I was trying to do for a living or for the rest of my life. I just knew I wanted to keep playing music. But then... Um, sort of a confluence of events with some classes and chemistry and all the things we were studying in high school um, made me have to either quit band or take up a, like a new instrument and join the beginning band. Okay. And the director said, try the oboe. And I quite honestly said, Why, what's an oboe? Uh, I never heard one in my life, not to my knowledge. So he handed me this old thing in a closet and, um, you know, being another woodwind instrument and playing the saxophone and flute and clarinet a bit for jazz, it, it, it kind of came naturally to me, as much as the oboe can. <laughs> and um, within just a few months, I was getting calls to play concerts in everyone's band because there basically weren't any oboe players around. Um, so I just had all this experience. And within one year, somebody wanted to study with me. And then somebody offered me a little bit of money to play at some event. And I just was beside myself. You want to pay me money to play the oboe? This is crazy. But that was just, that was like my sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school. Um, So within a couple of years, I I thought, well, why don't I kind of see how it goes? Audition for undergraduate as an oboe major. And I don't know, it seemed like such a fantasy, but um, it's been quite a, quite a ride. Yeah, the world was kind of giving you all the signals. It's like, this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe on some level. I mean, not that it's uh, always a smooth ride, but it's um, it's been an interesting one. <laughs> um, 
prior to, I guess, just winging it with oboe, um, would you, do you think you still would have tried to major in music otherwise, I guess? Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I was interested in so many things that it was sort of hard to find a focus. I liked the sciences. I liked languages a lot. I, I thought of myself as maybe, maybe becoming a, a, a diplomat or something. I really wanted to travel, wanted to build, build bridges with people, communicate with people. Um, but, but I, I didn't really have the focus until, until I really fell in love with, with music, with concert performance, um, and then with the, the role that the oboe got to play in an orchestra. And it just made sense to me. I thought, well, this is, this is the only thing that's completely gripped me and made me feel like uh, this is kind of an identity issue for me. So I, I really, I am a musician. I should keep going with this. Um, and then where did you attend school and why? Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. I, I applied everywhere and, and didn't get in <laughs> pretty much anywhere. <laughs> um, I was just soundly rejected from all the schools that I thought were right for me at the time. And uh, I don't know why. I probably just wasn't ready. Not even close. So I ended up um, going for one year to the University of California, Irvine, and studied with a really great guy named Jonathan Davis. And um, that allowed me to really study, really practice the oboe in an environment that had a, maybe a little bit less distraction and kind of intensity than, than maybe some other schools would have offered. Um, and I, I'm really appreciate, appreciative of that choice. So um, he did great by me. And within one year, I actually just transferred. So I was only there for one year. And then I studied with Alan Vogel, David Weiss, and Joel Tim at um, University of Southern California, the Thornton School of Music. Uh, and that was awesome. Loved it. That was two years in L.A. And, um, and then I applied to uh, study with John Mack at the Cleveland Institute of Music. That's actually the only place that I applied for grad study. Okay. And it was a little bit crazy, but I kind of just thought all or nothing. This is the guy I want to work with. And if that doesn't work out, I'll stick around L.A. and just so see, see where life takes me. Mm-hmm. But I got in and um, really incredibly privileged to work with him in yeah. the first two years after his retirement. So my only, probably my only real, uh, I don't know, panging regret is that I never got to hear John Mack live in the orchestra. Mm, okay. But I did get a tremendous amount of attention from him. He retired in, in the spring, or, you know, of the, of the year prior to me going to CIM. So it was an interesting time for him. I think he really struggled with leaving the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And you could sort of see it in him and the way he talked, he was really missing it. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks into the school year, Mr. Mack sat us all down and said, listen, I, I, I've had a change of heart, you know, rather than wishing I were still playing the oboe in the orchestra, I've decided to give my students even more of my time. He was always generous. Yeah. He just, he, he said, I'm going to be here every single day. If you want to play for me, come on by. Mm-hmm. So I did. Yeah. I mean, literally every day I was in there playing something or making a read or just listening to him talk. And I, I don't think I would possibly be where, where I am now if it weren't for that, that, all that attention. Yeah, that's excellent. What is something you struggled with in your undergraduate degree? And I know the word struggle can be very broad, but... Oh, but where to begin? I struggled with everything. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, mentally struggling with, with what it means to be a musician, what the prospects are for a job, um, getting over that and just realizing that job or no job, I'm a musician, I better accept it and try to make the, make the most of it. 
Um, with with the oboe, I I struggled with the the equipment, the the reeds, the instrument itself in a lot of ways, and just feeling frustrated that things that I wanted to do were being stifled by this this little piece of grass or this chunk of wood that had a leak that I wasn't aware of, and so I couldn't play a low note. And it's just it's just maddening, and and, and it's taken decades to really understand the nuances of the oboe and reed making and to be diligent enough to take really great care of it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's like we blame ourselves all the time. And then finally, I, um, I had a great talk with a, a couple of repair people in, in LA. Um, and they said, you know, really, you shouldn't have to have a perfect reed to play a low D. Your, your oboe should be sealing beautifully and then it, should, it really should work. And when you accept that, you take some of the blame off your own shoulders and you relieve yourself of all that stress and get your instrument working and get your reed working. And then you're kind of free. You can just make music. It's wonderful. Yeah. Just definitely takes a long time to get to where all the parts <laughs> work. And even then, it's a constant practice. I won't use the word struggle because I don't feel that I struggle anymore. But I, I, I am focused on it. It is, it is a regular work to to keep the instrument going, to keep the reeds ready, and and also to to stay inspired, to stay fresh. It's it's like nothing that we do here is automatic. You don't get good enough, get your job, and then just go to work and do it. You know, clock in. It's, it's every day thinking about being creative, thinking about being an artist, paying attention to your colleagues, uh, you know, listening and adjusting. And it's the only thing in, in my life, in my experience, that has taken 100% of my attention. Yeah. And in that way, it's really grounding and humbling and, and amazing. Yeah, that's kind of what I think is so all encapsulating for me with um, a career in music is because I feel like I've barely scratched the surface and there are so many different concentrations in music. And I'm like, how could you ever be bored? Like, I will never know enough. <laughs> there's always oh, yeah. more to practice. There's always more to learn about. Um, and that's kind of how I feel like I will just never get tired of doing this. Yeah, it's, it's not boring. Even the 100th time playing Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, it's just not boring because while the notes on the page are the same, the way you play them is different. The people you play them with is different. The people listening, the conductor, the environment, every, you know, there's so many variables and, and not to mention, it's just fantastic music anyway. So I wouldn't mind playing it again. <laughs> um. This is a question that I know a lot of listeners want to hear advice on now um, in 2020, but what's advice you have for players who are kind of going into this career field? <laughs> well, you know, we don't become musicians for the fame and glory and money or, or even with any of those goals. And yet it's, it's, it's so important to recognize um, the, 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 the value that we bring being musicians, um, that we deserve to make a living in this field. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yet here we are at this time when most orchestras aren't hiring, many orchestras aren't playing, and there are very few opportunities out there to perform with other people, including for free in school just because these restrictions. I, I, I really feel for all of the young people, for everyone, um, trying to make it in this field right now. But it it will pass. We we as as a as a global community have have come through worse, 
and we've come through it better on the other side. Um, so when this, when this is over, when we are back to performing and hiring and taking auditions and creating opportunities, um, where will you be as an individual? That's my question to everyone. You know, what, what do you want to, to be and, and how will you use this time to best advantage? Mm -hmm. um, you, can, you can coil up like a snake, ready to strike, and, and, and that means being completely prepared. Yeah. But when someone calls you or when, when you have the opportunity to go and take an audition or whatever it is, you need to sound amazing, you need to be at your best. <clears throat> and in, in that way, it's, it's, it can be viewed differently. It can be viewed like an opportunity. When have we had the time to be with ourselves, to be with our art? And, and you know, for all the tragedy that surrounds us, we can do something constructive with it. Mm -hmm. What would you be doing if you were not a musician? Well, I really don't know. I, it's hard to imagine being a different person. Yeah. If I weren't playing music professionally, I would, I would still be making music in all my free time and getting together with people and probably being a part of a community group. I might be a part of the May Festival Choir, actually. I, I've, I've always enjoyed singing, and I've, I've never really had the opportunity to, to dive into that. Um, professionally speaking, I would probably do something, in, something that involves working with my hands. Um, my dad and I used to build things, uh, rooms in the house, tree houses, and, and to this day, I, I like to work on, work on the house and things like that. So the tangible results are <laughs> helpful and a good departure from... Um, from my vocation. Okay. Um, how has your career focus changed in your professional life? Or has it? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm probably, I'm probably guilty of, of not sort of building to my own future as much as I should be. Um, and that's a really vague thing to say, but I, I tend to be very focused on sort of what's around me and, and if, I'm, if I'm teaching someone, like that's my presence. If I'm giving a concert, that's my presence. Um, and I think it, it's sort of the times when I have looked to the future has been maybe a little bit of a detour. Um, I, I don't know, maybe I can say that a little bit better. I, I found that the times when I'm most successful, happy, productive, and communicative are when I'm not focused on my own ambition yeah. or, or selfishly kind of worrying about how the concert went or if it wasn't my best that night. Um, those are distractions. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the real is the now. Mm -hmm. the, the people who are there sharing this with us um, get to hear the music. Uh, the colleagues that you're on stage with, the music itself. It's not about the individual. It's not about our ego or what job we might land. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's about what kind of beauty we're able to bring into the world in that moment. Yeah. I know that's super new agey and lofty, but it, I find that it's, that's what's actually real yeah. and it helps you stay grounded and humble. Um, and then it doesn't matter what group you're playing with, what city you're living with. Mm -hmm. In that moment, it just matters that you have this privilege of being able to play music. Definitely. Um, when you entered your master's degree, was your goal to then audition for an orchestra position after? Yeah, I mean, I, I always wanted to have a community. Okay. Um, 
much as I, I really enjoy being a soloist and uh, the occasion of getting to travel and play a concerto somewhere is, is really thrilling. Um, but the, the community of an orchestra or a tight-knit chamber ensemble is really, really special. The relationships you get to build, the I'm only 13, 14 years in, but someday it'll be 30 or 40 years. And how much more rich will those relationships be? How much more incredible and communicative will your music making be with people that you know that well? Mm-hmm. Well, that's really, really exciting to me. Yeah, that is very exciting. I was just, I know a lot of people have that goal and then they change it um, maybe. Um, so the people who do have the jobs, it's interesting to see if that was always what you wanted to do, I guess. Well, it, I, I didn't have the goal specifically to be in this orchestra or even any orchestra of a specific caliber or salary level or anything like that. I just wanted to be in an orchestra. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to be a principal-level player um, that's in my personality to to want to express things that way, to play the solos, to, to be a collaborative leader. Mm-hmm. As far as the second oboist auditions, are those really like... Do you think that is truly like a whole different type of preparation and a whole different, I guess, I know it's a different job, but do you think those are like types of players that you would need to identify within yourself? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, music is music and great playing is great playing. Mm -hmm. You can apply that to principal solo excerpts, you know, a solo playing. You can apply that to um, a more supportive role uh, filling out the middle voice and and having sort of a different skill set in some ways in terms of nimbleness in the low register um, and a different kind of listening and playing to really really match with someone but we all have to do that and I think that when 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 you be, become you know accomplished at what you do and come be trying to become a great oboe player that you can do anything you could be an English horn player you could be a second oboe player you could be a principal player yeah. um, it's just different roles that you fill um, I very rarely, but with with joy, get to play in a section these days. Sometimes at a festival, for instance, um, I got to play second oboe to some people I really respect a while back, and I loved it. I I just loved it. It was so great. I mean, I was just in, first of all getting to enjoy hearing other people play oboe solos, but also taking pride in fitting in just right. And that note that maybe the audience wouldn't notice necessarily did make a difference in the cohesion of the ensemble. So I have a tremendous respect for for our colleagues in the orchestra who aren't in the spotlight in the same way um, as a principal player, just by nature of the job, but contribute invaluably and are amazing. And, and they are heard by their colleagues and incredibly appreciated. Yeah. Are there um, specific detour moments in your life that you could share? Well, it's funny, it's a detour. Uh, we, we mentioned that a little bit earlier in that word. Um, detour, detours could be, could be positive, they could be negative, you know, it depends. They're, I just would say that detour might think getting off track. Well, what's the track? What are your goals? What do you wanna do? There's, there's, no, there's no prize in the end. You know, there's, there's no big adjudicating body that says you have made it, you're successful. So if you want to be an oboe player in an orchestra and that's your goal, then you need to work toward that goal. And a detour from it might be a negative for you. Mm-hmm. But if, if you want to be a musician and are open to the way that life goes and have other interests, 
then it doesn't matter if somebody, some teacher, whatever says, hey, you're getting off track. Mm. You do what's right for you. Mm. And so in that sense, some detours in my life have been very positive, where I've allowed myself to explore other interests, take take a little time off from the oboe and um, go on a vacation or pursue a hobby and then come back to it. Mm. it like that's okay, that's normal, that's life. It, in the more maybe negative sense of a detour, I would say the, the moments in my professional life when I've been too concerned about my own performance, perfection, um, c career trajectory, those, those moments distract me from just the love of music and realizing that the point of it all is communicating with each other and with, with your audience, not selfishly thinking, well, how well did I do? Did, did, I, did I nail it? And, and sometimes working on auditions can make us feel that way. Like it, you have to walk in and be perfect and we're a failure if we're not. Well, that's, that's not real. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's about expressing something, bringing the details of the music, respecting the composer and communicating with your audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easy to forget. <laughs> sure it is, I get that. What brought you to the job you're in today? Oh, um, well, I mean, it, I, like like everybody who's sort of looking to take auditions and and um, um, potentially win a job in an orchestra, I was open to the opportunities that were out there. Mm -hmm. So when I was in the New World Symphony, uh, I loved being down there, being in Miami, had a great time. Um, some auditions came up, and um, I auditioned for the New York Philharmonic. Um, and I was really surprised to end up one of just two people who were in the final round. And uh, Liang Huang won that job, and um, I went back to New World. So there's really no prize for, for being second or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, the San Diego Symphony had an opening, I auditioned for that and won. And um, when Liang Huang went to New York, he, he had been in Cincinnati for one year. Well, that left Cincinnati open, so that was an audition. Um, bought a plane ticket and went and played. I was in sort of a fortunate position being in San Diego because I was really happy there. Okay. Spectacular group, great colleagues. Um, I loved my section. Um, I loved, frankly, I kind of loved my life down there. And so that took the pressure off of taking some other audition. I thought, well, I don't have to win. I don't need to go anywhere. But, but I, I, I won the job. Yeah. And, and of course, looking into what the Cincinnati Symphony was, and, and the kind of job it was, the kind of people who were here, I became more and more excited about that. And, and from my first day in this chair in Cincinnati, um, I felt like it was a pretty great fit. It's like, oh, wow, I like these people. I like the way they make music. I loved working with Pavel Yarvi. And I saw a, a real future here, which has is, which is borne out. I've been really happy playing, playing here. And um, we've seen a lot of growth in the orchestra, too, with a lot of interesting new players joining our ranks, new principal clarinet, principal bassoon. Um, and uh, now a new second oboe player come, coming in, so. Um, a couple of people on the podcast have mentioned that they were in like a great job or like their, their dream job when they applied to wherever they are now just for kicks. And then it all kind of took the pressure off, like you said, and then they were able to, um, I guess, show themselves actually to their fullest potential instead of with um, a lot of fear. And it ended up all working out great, so. That's a good observation. and. Um, it can be maybe difficult to fake it till you make it, as they say. But part of the secret sauce to um, getting over ourselves, getting over our fears, concerns, and 
and sometimes crippling ambition to, to feel like we have to win, we have to do something, is, is um, maybe it's a meditative practice, but learning to be content, to be happy with where we are and open to new opportunities instead of um, struggling with where we are and needing something to work out. Mm-hmm. So it, it, was, it was a privilege to be in San Diego and, and feel honestly like I was happy and didn't need anything else happened for me career-wise um but there've also been other times when maybe you're just happy being alive and getting to play music and taking an audition doesn't have to be incredibly stressful you can just go and play and see what happens what are your current goals for your job um or just for your your field well just to continue improving to be a lifelong student of, of music and to learn from my colleagues and conductors and every experience I have. Um, I'm very, I'm very happy to be playing here in Cincinnati, um, to be getting to teach at CCM. Um, I want to do more of that. And if, if, if life takes me in some other direction in music or not in music, I, I'm, I'm going to work to make the best of that. I think, I think that's the best that we can do because we're not always in control of these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, this current, pandemic and the way that it's affected all of our lives is is great evidence of that we are i was thinking of um of gandalf and uh frodo baggins oh why do i have to live in such times and and gandalf said in lord of the rings so do all who who live through such times we wonder this but it's not up to us you know all we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us Sorry to nerd out for a second, but I'm an unabashed nerd with such things. And I think it's great advice. What are you going to do with the time that's given to you? Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe you're not in the job that you want to be in yet. But this is your time. This is your life. Better make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a unique value and something special to contribute. Whether it's through music or some other field or in your family or with your... I mean, whatever it is... Um, I want to encourage everyone, and that comes from my own experience in struggling with this and, and, and maybe coming, coming to terms and coming to appreciate this, um, that we all are special and important. And so in a dark moment, in a lonely moment, in a struggling moment, remember that. Mm-hmm. You are in control of your own time and your own life, and you don't owe anything to anybody. Just do your best. I'm very grateful to Mr. Perry for being on this interview. It was amazing to hear from him, and I'm excited to share his words of wisdom with all of you. Something really special that he mentioned that I think we've all been thinking about during this past year is how will you use this time to your advantage? I think there were a lot of trends going around the internet um, at the beginning of the pandemic doing like challenges or I know I did the Fairling 48 and the Barrett 40 on Instagram and I put a lot of effort into doing online interviews for my podcast Um, and that's all well and good and I think we all had fun but now as this keeps going on and on maybe it's time to think of a new challenge for yourself Um, or just think of like a piece you've always wanted to play or you never thought you could play I think now's the time to crack it open and see what see what you have to offer. If you'd like to keep up with the podcast, there are multiple ways you can do so. First of all, you can go to our website, 
which is detoursinmusicpodcast.weebly.com. You could also subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Detours in Music Podcast. We also have a Facebook page and Instagram account where you can like and follow us. The Detours in Music Podcast is available everywhere that you listen to podcasts, but on Apple Music Podcast apps, you can subscribe and rate us. If you ever want to get in touch with me and give more direct feedback, you can email me at detoursinmusicpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening, and I hope you catch the next one.